Thank you for joining us today for the Gospel Light Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Lenentine. We are a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church family located in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are motivated to love God, grow together, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. Now we hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Brent Lenentine. training our children now tonight. I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bible to Psalm chapter 78, Psalm 78. Specifically now, the title of this would be helping your children, helping your children to faithfully serve the Lord. Uh, it's something that is so vitally important, and it's something that uh, is really a, a snare, a snag, if you would, for many a child of God, because uh, we have such love and devotion, such a passion for the children that God has entrusted to us. And we want them to turn out right. We don't want them to go the ways of the world. We don't want them to go just in a selfish or self-serving type of a direction. But we want them to live for God uh, and to be good Christians and to be good and responsible uh, family members, good husband, good wife, raising their children for the Lord and that. And clearly we want that, but there's a snag to it. There's a a, a great draw of the world. There's a great temptation of the world. Uh, it's a magnet, if you would, of the world that is drawing young people into worldliness and drawing them away from the Lord. And so clearly it's something that uh, it is, a, is a proper concern for every one of us, how we can have our children to raise up or grow up and live for the Lord. And I want to say this so very, very carefully because I don't want this to sound inappropriate in the way that I say it. But over the years, years ago, not just recently, but years ago, some people would say to us, to my wife and I, you're so very lucky, you're so very lucky that you have good kids. And I know that in many instances they speak that out of a broken heart, okay? Uh, And their heart is heavy, and their heart is broken because of, Um, things not going well in raising or training their children. And so my wife and I have heard more than our share of that, of you're so lucky that you have good kids. But what I want to say is that whether you realize it or not, all of us are born under the curse of sin into a sin-cursed world. Job says of a child that he comes into the world speaking lies. And so there's not really such a thing as, quote, good kids who are just automatically going to turn out right or are even more prone specifically to turning out right. Now, there clearly are Christian advantages in life. That is, for a child to be born into a dedicated Christian home with a mom and a dad who love God and are faithfully serving the Lord. But I'm looking for the most part at those, those conditions. Mom and dad who loves God and is trying to live for the Lord themselves, right? And so that takes us part way down the road in the right direction, okay? But there's some things we need to learn. And when you get into this, there's so many different things that could be said. And I'm not attempting to try to cover everything. 
But this was just on my heart, and I was praying about it, and there were four things that the Lord laid on my heart, and I just want to share them with you. I think that some of the things are what applies to my wife and I, and I think it's part of the reason why we were so lucky. I think it's part of the reason why we were so lucky in raising our children, right? I think that there were some biblical principles that we followed, uh, and I think that it can make a difference, right? Uh, and it can be very significant. And so I don't want to hurt in this at all. I want to help, and I want to instruct. And hopefully we'll take it with an with a open and a tender heart and be very teachable tonight. Some of you are in the throes. You're right in the middle of raising your children for the Lord. Some of you, you're past that and you're a grandparent, but you want to continue to be attached towards your grandchildren being raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Some of you are young and you're not yet into that stage of life. And yet at the same time, that is the very best time to get the biblical instruction. Before you even start into that phase of life, right? That's the time to get it. I think that many of us would wish that we could have reversed and gone back a little bit in our life to a place where we could have known some biblical truths just a little bit earlier in life, right? And to start to practice them then while we were raising our children when they're young. Don't wait until they are a teenager to start to try to teach them how to do right because habits will already be formed by that point in their life. Much of the instruction that a child will receive and much of the way that a child responds to their world around them as they get older is formed in them by the time that they start kindergarten. So by the time that they start kindergarten, much of their character, much of their outlook on life has already been shaped. Doesn't mean you can't continue to mold them and direct them as they go forward, but there is a need to start very early. Let's stand if we would together for all that are able to in Psalm chapter 78. <clears throat> Psalm 78 and then in verse number, um, <clears throat> number one, it says, give, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless and lead now in this time. God, I want to ask that you would uh, just have cause us to have a tender and open heart, to be receptive to truths that you have for us now from your word. You lead and guide us now in this time, we pray. We'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated all over. And I said that, that this is something that is very heartfelt and even, if you would, heart-wrenching, especially as we would get partway down the road and become concerned about the direction of our kids and how they're doing and what their life choices and life priorities are, it becomes very concerning for us. There are questions that we have, even from the time 
that our children are born or before that time uh, as they are, as we're expecting and as they're coming into the world. We get asked questions like, will my children go forward into adulthood and will they faithfully serve the Lord? Now I want to say that that is a question that every one of us should take very, very seriously. Will they raise their children, my grandchildren, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? <clears throat> As they go forward then, uh, can we be more confident that our children will turn out right? What might we do? What would we need to do to feel more confident that the children, our children will go forward and live for God and serve God faithfully as they become young adults, that they would make right decisions even in times of pressure and difficulties, that they would make right decisions and put God first and live for the Lord uh, as they would go forward on their own when they would have the ability to make choices and decisions in their own life hopefully guided by the principles of God's word. Now, God gives to us an amazing promise. Now, I want to say that this amazing promise is, one, reassuring, two, is a little convicting, a lot convicting, okay? And that is a promise that we'll see in Proverbs, and you could just hold your place there because we are still going to look at this, but just laying down a foundation here. But in Proverbs chapter 22, and you're so familiar with this verse, but it's important for us to see this, uh, in Proverbs chapter 22, and then in verse number 6, you just hold your place there in Psalm 78 where we're at. But in Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse number 6, this is truly an amazing promise. Because raising our children and training them up, as Ephesians tells us, fathers, to provoke not your children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so God gives us that instruction about bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. God is very clear about this, and God says this is something very serious and something very, very important. We understand the importance of that. And so God gives to us an amazing promise here in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6. The Bible says to train, to train, train up a child, the Bible says, in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I said that that's an amazing promise, and truly it is. But also it's somewhat convicting because God gives to us in this verse what you would call as a very high bar, a very high expectation. That God says that for me as a Christian dad, for my wife as a Christian mother, that we have some responsibility in the Christian life for the instruction and the training of our children and that if done biblically and if done by faith, trusting God and seeking God, if done biblically and properly, that our children will in fact go forward and serve God. Now, thank God for the promise because our children, your children serving God is a work of God. It's the grace of God. It's the power of God. It is a supernatural work. If your children go forward and serve God, it is a work of God. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. But we understand also that God gives to us then responsibilities in the Christian life. There's principles of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So it makes a difference then what we sow, what we put into the next generation. Because whatever we put into the next generation is going to bring a harvest. So we are planting seeds in our children. And those seeds, as they grow and mature, will reap a harvest. Will reap a whirlwind of destruction 
or will reap good fruit that will be a blessing in their lives and be a blessing to others that are around them. It's such an important thing. Years ago, I preached a sermon in which it had a illustration in it. Uh, and um, there was a, the illustration was about a guy named Max Jukes. Max Jukes. And then also the Christian or the preacher was um, one who preached uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was uh, Jonathan Edwards. Okay. So it was a comparison. Somebody was so interested in this. And so they did a generational comparison of the life, the offspring and the generation of Jonathan Edwards and a man whose name was Max Jukes. Now Max Jukes was a reprobate. He grew up without parents and without proper parental oversight. He got into trouble very early in life, committed many, many crimes, got, went to jail, went to prison multiple times in his life. His offspring and children also were drunk and caused damage and destruction and went to jail many times. And they tracked Max Jukes forward three generations in all of the offspring, and they tracked Jonathan Edwards forward for three generations with all of his children also. And here's what they found, that Max Jukes, that all of his offspring were absolute scourge on society. And back in their day, believed as best they could estimate back some 150 years ago, that Max Jukes' offspring cost society over $150,000. And putting him up in jail, all the destruction and harm that they had done uh, in their day and everything, a huge significant number. In the millions today would be how that would compare. On the other hand, that Jonathan Edwards and his offspring produced multiple preachers and multiple college deans and professors, lawyers, and that they had been a positive influence on society. Did not cost society, but was a benefit to society. Preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that we are, with our children, sowing seeds. And the seeds that we sow and we invest into our children will produce a harvest. God is not mocked in this thing, so whatever type of seed we are sowing in our children is exactly the type of harvest that we will get from our children. They will benefit from or be harmed by the fruit of those labors as they go forward in their life to come and their children after them. But if we sow seeds of righteousness and biblical truth, and if we model by example into our children of serving God, then they can go forward and produce fruits of righteousness and be blessed because of it, and other people will be benefited because of their Christian life and testimony. And so we are then sowing seeds. So the Bible tells us then to train up a child. What it is that we're instructing and what we are putting into them, what we are, uh, are, are the guidance we are giving and the instruction that we're giving to them as they go forward in their life day by day, that we're training up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, the Bible says that they'll not depart from it. Now, some have said, well, they may stop going to church, but they can never really get away from the Bible truths that they learn. Yet I want to say at the same time that God is certainly saying something more than that. When it says then in this matter that they will not depart from it, it's dealing here in a very strong and a clear way. It's dealing with the matter of departing then is a word that means to turn off. It means to rebel. It means to be sour against. And that is that, in fact, they are, of course, turning away from the Lord. And if they turn away from the Lord, then 
then there is, uh, again, a shortcoming in this matter of training our children. As I said, I'm not trying in any way to be discouraging to any of us, but I want to challenge us and I want us to take this seriously. I want you to go back, if you would, to Psalm 78, if you held your place there. And when you look at Psalm 78, we'll see the importance of this. We'll see the call or the command that God gives to us. It's interesting that God says to us, I want you to give ear my people. I want you to incline my ears. I want you to listen to me. It's interesting that it says in verse number two that I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter dark sayings. Now, that seems very confusing. And it's like, why would any parent give seemingly incomplete types of instruction to their children. But we know then that Jesus taught by parable very often, especially when he was in public. And Jesus went on and he answered the reason why he taught by parable was so that those who wanted to hear would hear and understand, and those who wanted to reject would not understand and would reject. What God is telling us in the first two verses very simply is, is that we need to train our children very early on to have a heart for God and for spiritual things. Teach them very early on to love God. And I want to say that that's not as hard as you think it is. If you sing Christian songs in the home and if you sing Jesus Loves Me and if you love it and if it is a big deal to you, your kids will absolutely love it. They will. They'll love it. Uh, they'll love every bit of it. They'll soak it up. And they will have a heart and a desire for spiritual things very early on. If they don't have a, a heart and desire for spiritual things, what God instructs us in the next verses after that really has very little benefit to it. Because if the kids don't care about the things of God, then it doesn't matter so much what we pass down to them. For the most part, they'll just reject it. They'll push it aside. So then it tells us in the verses after that, in verse number four, he said, I will not hide them. So he wants for us then that we will not hide them then from our children, but rather to show the generation to come the praises of the Lord, the goodness of God. And so God tells us here in Psalm 78 that we are to rejoice in God, to brag in God, to give glory to God, to thank God, to rejoice in God, to praise God and to shout the praises of God in our home because God has been better to every one of us than we deserve. I want to say, listen to me now. I'm just laying down a foundation. I'm going to give you four things uh, in an hour or so. I'll get started on that and I'll give you four things. But listen to me now. I mean this with all my heart. Many, many, many a Christian home and Christian children are hurt because their parents are way too negative. I said that. Way too negative. And there's a selfishness and there's self-centeredness that's always involved in this matter of negativity because you didn't get as much as you think you should have got. And even when God is good to you and even when God blesses you, somehow you think that you should have got something just a little bit more. And there's a negativeness there and a negativity. And I want to say that for the child of God, shame on you, shame on you if your home is characterized by a negative spirit. It is hurting you. It will kill the spiritual desire of your kids. How long has it been since you shouted and rejoiced and praised God for his goodness and what he did for you and how he's blessed you and how good he's been to you and what he's provided for you and what he's done in your life? How long has it been since you just, just, just gave God the glory and thanked God and praised God and bragged all over God for what it is that he's done? When I promise you it'll make a difference. So it says this, we're not going to hide from our children. We're not going to hide from the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done 
for our nation, for the nation of Israel, and in our lives personally, God has been so good to me. I wonder if I'm being clear enough here tonight. Some of you are killing your children in a spiritual sense. Some of you are killing your children by a bad attitude, a negative attitude. And it's hurting them in such a significant way. Amen? And so God says to us, listen. He said, well, preacher, there's just so many things that are bad. Listen to me now. As bad as you think it is today, it has been worse for many generations of the past. And I know this is going to sound terrible, but as bad as you think it is today, it's very likely to get worse in many different ways. We're coming towards the end times. It's just part of what it is, right? And I want to say that even if things are difficult, you still can learn to rejoice in the Lord. There was a, uh, uh, a lady, um, Mrs. Carla, Carla, I was trying to think, last name, and she went to Belize. And we were in the church, Hawthorne Baptist Church, back in Atlanta, Georgia, now 38 years ago. And I remember this story from coming on four decades ago. I remember this. And she had been and done a first term in Belize, and she had come back. And she was telling a story because she went there to work with another missionary. She was a single lady, and she was working with children in children's ministries. So the missionary had for many weeks told the church there that this lady is coming, and she's going to work with the children. The children were so excited about it. So she came. And the kids were just lighting up, and they were just so excited to see her. This one little girl ran and hugged her like she knew her all of her life and just clung to her because this is the missionary lady that's come to teach us about Jesus. And she would not turn loose of her, and she held on to her all the time. After they had done the fellowship and all of the other things and most everybody else left, this little girl is still clinging to Carla, and she said, come see my home. I want you to come see my home. And Carla said it was, it was such an indoctrination into the mission field in third world countries. So she went with her to her home, and the girl walks along the path to her home. They come to a mud hut there, and she's like, this is my house, this is my house. She's so excited. She runs up to the house. There's a shabby, shabby curtain that blocks or closes the door off, and she pushes the curtain away. Come into my house, come into my house. Carla has to bend and stoop, uh, stoop way down and go inside the house. Inside the house, there's a mud floor that's semi-packed down. There's mud walls around it. No light in it at all. It's very dark. And the girl's so excited. Here's my mom, and here's my dad, and here's my brothers and sisters. And they lived in this little mud house. She goes all the way around, and she says, this is where we eat our meal, and this is where we sleep, and this is my bed. Now, her bed was, again, a shabby, shabby um, uh, blanket or towel, really, that was laying on the hard mud floor. That was where she slept. And this girl shows her house to this missionary lady, literally thinking she lived in a palace. And we complain that we have it bad. Now, you knew where I was going with that, didn't you? We complain like we got it bad. We complain like we got it bad. And I want to say there's just a spoiledness. There's just, there's just, just a bad attitude that hurts us, and we're hurting our kids. Now, it says in verse number five, it says, for he established in a testimony in Jacob 
God has done work for his people and set his people apart. And there is a world-renowned testimony of the nation of Israel because God has been so good to his people. He appointed a law. He gave to us. He loved us so much that he gave us the commandments from his word, which he commanded our fathers. They should make them known to their what now? Children. So we're supposed to pass on to our children. Listen to me now. We're supposed to pass on to our children the blessings of God. Is that right or not? And we're supposed to pass on to our children the commandments of God. Is that right or not? Right? So we're supposed to pass on to our children the commandments of God. And then in verse number 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Now this is the very thrust of my introduction in this point, and that is that we are supposed to, with such heart and with such a spirit of faith, and with such a joy and encouragement, we are supposed to instruct our children in the goodness of God and in the commandments of God so that it will so lodge in their hearts that they will go forward and live for God and they will raise their children for God and so on and so on. One of the measurements of the effectiveness of our Christian parenting is found in our children's children. Amen? Now listen, I'm not trying to hurt anybody in this. But I'm trying to hold up a biblical standard for us. Right? So God said, I want you to so rejoice in the Lord. And, you know, getting old, I, I don't remember well. Did I mention that many Christian families are ruining their kids with a negative attitude? Did I, I'm not sure if I said that or not. Let's make sure we drill down really, really deep with this thing. You're killing your kids. With your complaining. And then, not only are we supposed to rejoice in the goodness of God, but we're also then, in turn, supposed to teach them the commandments of God. With such joy, and with such heart, and with such enthusiasm for the things of God, that it captivates their hearts, and it lodges in their hearts very early on, so that they go forward and live for God, and that they teach these very same principles to the next generation. Amen? That's pretty cool. Now, I want to give you four words, and I want you to write them down. I want to give you four words. We won't be long, but I want you to write them down. That was a big part of the message was just to lay down that foundation. But I want to give you four words, and I want you to write them down. The first is this. How is it that we can help our children in order to go forward and faithfully live for the Lord? These are all super practical, but here they are. First off is friendly. First off is friendly. We need to teach our kids then and our children to be friendly. The Bible tells in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 24, 18 and verse number 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. He must initiate. He must step out of his comfort zone. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now listen, I've dealt with this over the years. And I've realized that many, many a Christian parents learns very early on to make excuses for their kids. Because it is easier to make excuses for your kids than to commit towards helping to change your kids by growing in the Lord. Every person on planet Earth comes into the world with bad habits and bad patterns. Just because somebody has a certain personality does not rationalize or justify their bad, unbiblical behavior. There are some things that kids naturally gravitate to that are unbiblical and they should not be allowed to continue in that practice in their life. 
Listen, there are some times where parents will make excuses for their kids being unfriendly. And yet I want to say that our kids then need to learn then to step out of their comfort zone. And that applies to many of these four things here. But they need to learn to step out of their comfort zone uh, by learning to be very forward in this matter of being friendly towards other people. I spoke about this and there was somebody years ago in our church and he was extremely, extremely shy and extremely, extremely self-conscious. So I was trying to help him to understand how he could get victory over this. And I said to him, for example, I said, let's say, for example, that you're, you're going down uh, here to school or whatever. You're going down a room, you're going down a hallway and you turn into a room and when you turn to that room, it is full of people and and because you, the door opened and you entered the room, they're all looking at you. I said, how do you feel in that very moment when they're all looking at you? He said, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just mortified. I'm just overcome with emotion. I just, uh, it just bothers me so much to have people look at me that way. And I said, okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Let's go further. Why is it that you feel so overwhelmed, to have such a negative, overwhelming emotion when somebody looks at you? And what I tried to help him to understand, and the super short version of this is, it is selfishness and self-centeredness for us to be concerned that somebody is looking at us, which makes us then in turn feel uncomfortable. I said, let's turn the tables around. Rather, what happens is you walk into a room and they all look at you, and you greet them and say hello. Then you book it over to welcome somebody and speak to somebody. Say hello to them and introduce yourself, or if it's a friend that you know, then welcome Welcome them and greet them. Don't worry about how it looks for you, but rather worry about how you can invest in somebody else. How can you invest in somebody else? See, what you don't realize is that when your children are shy, they are being way too self-conscious. It's way too much about me, 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 and I feel uncomfortable, and me, 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 and I feel, and I feel, and me, me, me. And they're giving in to their emotions, which is creating a pattern of self-centeredness that is going to hurt them and hurt others as they go forward in life. So you turn the thing around. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about whether you feel uncomfortable or not. It is an opportunity for you to be a blessing to somebody else. Amen, preacher. Now listen, I want to promise you, if your kids are shy and withdrawn, then it will hurt them as a Christian and as a minister of Jesus Christ. Because in, only to, in order to minister for Jesus Christ, you have to learn to step outside of your comfort zone. You have to step out into areas that is difficult and hard for you. You have to learn that I'm going to seek to be a blessing to somebody else. We taught our children to go up to an adult, to look them in the eye, to shake their hand, and to greet them or welcome them. It's good to meet you. And we taught them how to do that. And it was with a lot of instruction. It didn't come naturally to them. It wasn't easy for them to do. We taught them how to do that. We taught them to go up and to welcome someone and to greet them and to shake their hand and to look them right in the eyeballs and to be friendly and kind to them, be concerned about somebody or somebody else's need. And so we, we taught them then how to be friendly because it is necessary to do. You want to be able to, again, step out your comfort zone. You want to learn then to be able to be a good friend. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. 
The example of that, of course, is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is said to us that David and Jonathan, that their hearts were knit together, that they were a great friend. Now, they were friends that encouraged each other in the Lord. I understand and you understand that not every other young person is necessarily a good example or a good testimony for your kids. You want to be careful, obviously, with who it is that they would be friends with, and you would want to uh, allow them to be friendly, but you'd not want them to separate off with just one individual person. This is what we did, and I think that there's wisdom and instruction about this. We would be, we would be very friendly. We would allow our kids to interact with pretty much all the other kids that were in the church. We would push them towards the group as a whole, but not to pair off individually with any one person, especially if they were pairing off as best friends with somebody who uh, had a bad Christian testimony and was not strong in the Lord. We would bring kids over to our house in order for them to have a good time. And I realize this inconveniences you, and I realize that, you know, it, 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 uh, it's distracting, and kids are crazy, and they make all kinds of noise, and they make a mess, and I understand all these things. But we would allow, and for kids, and we would have kids over at our house, but we very, very guarded and very seldom did our kids go to somebody else's house. Not that they never did, but our kids did not spend night at the night with any other kid. Let me help you out. Your kids do not have to have sleepovers with other kids. Amen. Your kids do not have to have sleepovers with other kids. It will cause problems. I'm not saying might. I'm saying it will cause problems. Now, you can be super crazy friendly... And you don't have to put your kids in a compromising situation. However, you need to teach your kids in order to have friends. In 33 years and 35 years of ministry, I have learned this. And I want to say that there are some parents right now that you're not going to receive this statement. And I want to say not receiving this statement will, 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 will hurt your kids. You are so super protective of your kids. You have to keep them sheltered and under your wings all the time. You won't let them talk or interact with anybody else. So they'll not learn how to have friendships and they'll not learn how to be friendly. Consequently, they'll go up through church, they'll be at church every week and possibly even every service, but not have other friendships that they developed in the church. As soon as they become a young adult, then they just leave and they go because they have nothing specifically attaching them in the church because the parents never allowed them to have interaction or friendship with other young people in the church. Now listen, when we started the church, I'm just saying this, I'm just saying this to be honest with you, just to show you the extremes of this. When we started this church, the other young people that were coming into our church were a train wreck. They were a mess. Their parents were just getting saved. They were worldly. There were all kinds of problems. But we didn't hold back our kids like, oh, our kids are too good for that. We pushed them towards the whole, the whole, where they interacted together as the whole, did things or activities, sang with the kids and was a part of that. But we didn't send them over to this brand new family's house for the kids to spend the night over there or whatever. But we brought them frequently and constantly over to our house. We would just bring them over to our house. We would set the environment. 
that it would be a positive environment and not a negative environment. Because we knew full well that our kids had to learn how to be friendly. They had to learn to have a heart for others. They had to learn how to develop friendships and not allow those friendships to hurt them spiritually, but for them to be able to be a blessing to others spiritually. We knew they had to have a heart for others or they would not go forward and serve God. We knew that. We knew it was necessary or else they wouldn't go forward and serve God. And it's like, this is not an option. And I realize it's scary, and I realize there's, some, there's kids that are problem. Look, I realize all of that. We're in the Christian school, and one of the kids whose family was faithful, and they were in every church service, he got mad. He got mad at the teacher, stood up, and cussed a blue streak, and ran out the door and ran down the street. Our boys were friends with him. And that was like, Whoa, that's what not to do. We had a girl that was frustrated because she wasn't understanding something. She blamed the teacher. She got up and she slapped the teacher in the face. Crazy stuff. You say, well, preacher, I'm not letting my kids hang around with any of those. Okay, well, how's that, how's that working out? Your kids don't have any friends at all. And they grow up and they don't go forward and serve God. Listen, not every bad example is going to teach your kids that they have to do the same thing. Some bad examples that are held at somewhat of a distance will actually say to your kids, whoa, there are consequences in the Christian life. <laughs> this is what you don't do in the Christian life. And so they, they need to understand those examples. I was talking, I was preaching in chapel, and I said, listen, you guys are not perfect whatsoever. I said, but it could be worse. And I gave them both of those examples. The kids' eyes were bugging out. And I said, don't you dare try that. But I want to say, it's, it's, we're, we're coming along, amen? We're coming along by the grace of God. Not perfect whatsoever. But if you think my kids can't hang out with anybody at the church, I want to promise you it was worse. It was worse. But we still had kids that grew up and are living for God. Amen? Amen. And, and, and so we have this idea, we're just protecting our kids. Oh, we just love them so much, and we're protecting our kids. And listen, I understand all of that. I, I challenge you, I don't know that there's any family in this church that loves your kids more than we loved our kids. But we loved them enough to, knew, to know that they had to live for God. Amen. They had to live for God. The single most important thing in their life was they had to live for God. Amen. To do that, they had to develop a Christ-like spirit. What was Jesus called by the Pharisees? He was called a friend of publicans and sinners. That's what he was called. Well, Jesus was perfect and he wasn't tempted. Now look, I understand that. He was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. But Jesus wasn't sheltered from everything in the world. It always amazes me that when Mary and, um, and uh, Joseph were uh, at the temple for the feast, and Jesus was 12 years old, they left out from the feast and their journey and their traveling. They come to nighttime, and it's time to bunk down. And clearly, we're not going to let our boy spend the night with somebody else. And so they go to find Jesus. They had traveled a whole day 
and Jesus wasn't with them. They supposed that he was with family and friends, but let me help you out. Jesus had interaction with others. Traveled a whole day. It's like, where's our kid? <laughs> they weren't negligent parents. They just understand the necessity of having interaction that helps us to grow in the Lord. Here's a second. Whenever I get in a passionate topic, I always go too long. But I'm really joking about going a long time here. I'll shut her down in a moment. Write this word down, faithful, faithful. Friendly is the first word of faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 2, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful, faithful. I want to say that the, the, the best teaching pattern of faithfulness for children comes from the pattern of their parents. That is that their parents are very committed to the Lord and to the work of God. And they love God and they're living for God and they're serving God. And their children understand the definition of faithfulness by their parents and by seeing the pattern of faithfulness in their parents' life. I believe that kids need to be raised in a spirit and an environment of faithfulness. Do I understand that what one family would call faithful is not exactly the measurement of another family that would be called faithful. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. And that is that for every one of us as a Christian family needs to have a goal and a target in our life to say that we're going to be found. The Bible says to be found faithful. That we are going to be faithful unto the Lord. Write down this third word if you would and that is serving. Serving. I want to say that as we are serving the Lord and as we bring our children along serving the Lord... They learn to have a Christ-like spirit as they are serving others by serving the Lord. The Bible says about Jesus Christ that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus then gave us an example of being a servant leader and that he served other people faithfully and joyfully. What happens then in turn is that we allow then for our children to be a part of the serving ministries of the church. And by being a part then of these serving ministries of the church, they have an opportunity to grow and to understand a servant's heart and how to serve others. Now let me state this because I think this is obvious or it needs to be defined here. There are two types of patterns or ministries, if you would, in the church. There are serving ministries, and I'll give you some examples. Serving ministries then would be a part of a cleaning team around the church. Serving ministries would be a part of uh, changing oil and helping to repair buildings and to repair things around the church house. And I want to say that serving type of ministries in that way is an excellent way for you to teach your children because serving ministries almost always involve something that is hands-on. We'd be working here around the church and we'd be digging and doing different things like that. I remember we had the, the kids, I had the two boys with them, we were back here. We had built the lower level in the basement, but it wasn't all finished yet. And there was a spot where in construction they just poured these rocks out. And they were just there and there was an area where we kind of played and there was just a pile of these rocks there on the ground. And so we were shoveling them up and putting them into the wheelbarrow and trucking them over and dumping them over the edge into the arroyo. And so while we were working around, and the boys were young, and Mark was fidgeting around 
and he, he wouldn't like jump in and shovel. I said, get in there and shovel. He's like, dad, there are ants there. And I said, I know there are ants there. They won't bother you. They won't hurt you. And these weren't the little ants. These were the ants that were about this big, okay? Uh, and so he's like, it, it always is. I think that whatever creature it is that God's created, they smell fear and they attack, amen? And so what happens is, I'm just digging away, and Jeremy's digging away, and Mark is dancing around, uh, not like Baptists are supposed to do, amen? And so he's just dancing all around and everything and shoveling. And I said, come on, get the shovel and shovel here. And, and he's moving all around and everything. And the next thing I know, he is screaming. He's just screaming. Now, let me let me preface this to say we were the only ones at all the church property and we were in the back of the church property at that time there were no houses behind us but he's screaming and when I turn around and look at him he's pulling his pants down outside man I scoop him up and we run into the old bathroom that we have here pull his pants down and he's got ants all up and down his leg biting on him biting on his leg and everything and it was crazy of all things but but they learn to serve God. Bless God. Amen. Listen, I don't care if you get bit with ants. Get a shovel and serve God. Now, now, <laughs> some things are easy to shout about, right? But, so there are service ministries, but they're also, listen to me now, great commission ministries. And great commission ministries involves in reaching people. It's soul winning, it's going with the gospel, it's teaching other people, it's bringing people to church, it's seeing people saved and then baptized for the glory of God, right? It's, it's part of the Great Commission. And I want to say that I hope that every one of us in here understand the value, not only just of service ministries, where you pick up a shovel or you pick up a, 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 a broom or a mop, but hopefully you understand also the value of Great Commission ministries where you're teaching the word of God, where you're going with the gospel and reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about serving. The last thing is, so we got three words so far. Tell me what they are. Friendly, okay, what's the next word? Faithful, what's the next word? Serving, and here's the next word, compound word, two words, soul winning, soul winning. Now I wanna say that this is vitally important. One of the greatest things that you can do to help your family, yourself, your family, your children to step outside of their comfort zone is to learn to go and to take the gospel to other people, to go with gospel tracks and to go out and soul winning and go and speak to people and to witness to them. What it does is it builds a genuine Christ-like love and heart for other people as we go with the gospel and as we go out soul winning. It teaches us to genuinely have a heart and the love of Christ. I want to say that also as you go soul winning, obviously the advantage of this is that you're a part of a great commission ministry and you're a part of seeing a harvest of souls for people being saved and that is such a blessing. Also then, you're learning how to speak to people. Over the years, we have had many different people. We'd be in competitions for AC regionals and other things like that. And many people would speak about our kids and about how that they had a confidence and uh, about them in the Christian life and able to speak to others. And I credited so much of that to soul winning. There's a guy in our church, and, and, and again, I don't want to be specific just to call his name, but some of you will figure him out. But he grew up in our church in the bus ministry. I actually reached him uh, in um, the apartments down here uh, in the on the bus ministry and he started coming to church. Difficult home life and so he just wanted to live at the church if anything was going on. It didn't matter what it was. He just wanted to be here all the time. He came in the bus ministry, come up through the youth department and that. He would go soul winning all the time. He would, back then he was one of the very few teens that actually liked going soul winning with me. Most of them didn't. But uh, he would come and he would go soul winning with me. Now as he's gone forward in life married with children, he is one of the most 
successful realtors in the state of New Mexico. He says, he says that part of the credit for that was that very early on in his life, he learned how to passionately speak and connect with people because he went soul winning every week of the world. Amen? Now, it goes back to that first thing about your kids being just so shy, and that's just their personality, and that's just the way they are. Well, maybe you shouldn't accept that. Maybe you shouldn't allow them to continue in that pattern, because maybe it's going to hurt them as they go forward in life. Right? Maybe it's going to hurt them and their family as they go forward in life. And so we teach them then to come outside of their comfort zone, to do things that are uncomfortable to do and we want to do that I remember going soul winning and so many marathons and as we got further down the road in those one of my favorite partners to go with was Anna she was just my partner and she was so great and I could tell so many different stories about that we were at Walmart uh, soul winning down at Coors and I-40 and there was this family that come up and they lived on the reservation and they could tell that I was a preacher and they said we were down here visiting a family member in the hospital and we don't have any gas for our van to get back out to the reservation. I said okay there's a gas station across the street just follow me over there. So we followed over there and so I'm telling Anna as we go I said we're going to get him out pumping gas and you're going to witness to everybody in the van. There's about like 12 or 15 people in this van. I don't know what it was. She's like I don't know about that. I said it'll be great. Don't worry it'll be great. Uh, and and so we pull up there to the pump and I come up, you know, to, to put the card in, the church card in, to pay for the gas. And I'm talking to him and trying to witness to him. And I said, my daughter's here. We're on a Sony marathon. That's what we were doing over at Walmart. We were telling people about Jesus and how to be saved. So she is going, I didn't ask. I said, she's going to jump in the van and she's going to tell all of your family how to be saved. He's like, well, I'm not sure about that. I said, don't worry, it'll be fine. So I jump into the driver's seat, spin around, and I say, guys, it's great here. We're just pumping up with gas. But while we are, I said, my daughter here is going to tell you about Jesus and how you could know that you're saved and going to heaven. Here's Anna. And I jump out, throw her in the seat. She's like, oh, dad. I said, just start talking. It's good. Just start talking. And she did. And many of them got saved. And it was glorious. And the Sony Marathon, we shot all the way out to the Southeast Heights. There's an apartment out there that was just crawling with kids like many apartments crawl with roaches. I mean, they were all over the place. But there were hovering mothers. They were sitting on the stairs. And they were like, hey, don't talk to my kids. Hey, don't talk to my kids. I said, okay, this is not working. So here's what I said. Okay, kids, come, come, come. Sit on the grass right here. Kids, come. Mama says, okay. Kids, come, come, come. Here, okay, everyone. Now here's Anna, and she's going to tell you how to get saved and go to heaven. And then I go over and I talk to the mamas. It's okay, look, it's just a little girl over there talking to your kids. She's telling them how to get saved and go to heaven. Surely you want them to go to heaven, don't you, mama? You don't want them to go to hell, do you, mama? It's so fun. It's so fun. Amen. Amen. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you realized the pattern of those stories, and I could go through and give you so many more, but the pattern of those stories is they all came along with what you would call a parental assist. They had a parental assist involved in it. Amen. And it was glorious. It was wonderful. It's amazing what your children will do when you challenge them and encourage them and just help them and just set them loose. It's, it's, it's incredible. Amen? So Jeremy was going, 
soul winning with, uh, with Kyle for soul winning marathon. And Kyle was just learning how. And he was like so <clears throat> zealous. It was incredible. So they were soul winning the skate park down here. And so Kyle runs up and he's soul winning this person. And he's asking me, oh, do you go to church? And do you know you're saved and going to heaven? And the boy says like, no, I don't, I don't know that. I'm not really interested in that. And Kyle says, so important. How come you're not interested in that? And the boy looked at Kyle and he said, well, I'm, I'm a homosexual. And Kyle, just as sweet and as innocent as could be, looked back at him and said, you know that's a sin, don't you? <laughs> and he just goes all the way through and gives him the gospel and tells him how to be saved, right? I mean, how awesome is that? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? This is just part of raising our kids and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's just what it is. Out there talking to somebody with a different lifestyle, I don't know. Well, listen, your fear is for you, not for them. That's what your fear is. It's you, not them. In order for them to step outside their comfort zone, guess what you got to do? Amen. We've been long enough. But I want to say this. Listen, I've made this statement many times, and I mean this with all my heart. We could not, we could not, we could not have raised our kids for the Lord as we did in serving the Lord if it were not for the bus ministry. They would go along with me in the bus ministry and then later they would pair up and they would go out in the bus ministry. They would witness to boys and girls and they would be dealing on a level that they could deal with, right? I've used the example many times and I take a teenager and I said to the teenager, I said, if I were to say to you, I'm going to give you room 214 and you're going to be an adult Sunday school teacher and I want you to go and to fill up 214 with adults, could you do it? Most teenagers couldn't do that, but here's what teenagers could do. If we put you on a bus and you had to love on and pray with and encourage 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds, could you do that? Well, yeah, I could do that. Well, great, we've got a ministry for you. Remember one time, Anna came back and she was, was crying and she'd been in the apartments down at Park West or West Park down there. And she had visited this girl that was on the bus and she was encouraging her, I hope you come on the bus. Dad was inside the house and he was drunk. And he was screaming at her and cussing her. And the girl was so embarrassed and she was holding back tears and she was so glad to see Anna because here's somebody on the church bus who loves me and cares about me. And Anna came back that day, and I was just rejoicing inside, and she said, Dad, you don't, we don't even understand the heartache that kids go through when they're raised in a family without Jesus Christ. Now listen, I didn't have to say to her, won't you please live for Jesus? She's like, this is a no-brainer. You'd have to be stupid to not want to live for Jesus if you see how other people live without Jesus. Of course I want to live for Jesus. Why wouldn't I want to live for Jesus? Look how other people live without Jesus. But we got to shelter our kids. And in sheltering them, you hurt them. I come ready to amen myself tonight. Amen, preacher! Because they think that all the Christian life is, is a whole bunch of rules and going to church, and it's all of this oppressiveness on me, and I'm not sure that I want that. 
But when they understand the real comparison and contrast between the Christian life and the life in the world, they say, I want to live for Jesus. That's what they say. That's what they say. If you don't shelter them, if you let them get out there and see what it's like without Jesus in the world, they say, I want to live for Jesus. That's what they do. You're living for Jesus. They're living for Jesus. It's a mess if you don't live for Jesus. Of course I want to live for Jesus. I want to raise my kids living for Jesus. Because it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Hi, this is Brent Lenentine. And before we go, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It is our prayer that today's message has encouraged and helped you. If you have any questions about how to be saved or your Christian walk, we would love to connect with you. Please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. If you live in the greater Albuquerque area and don't have a church home, we hope that you'll visit with us soon at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Rio Rancho. And if you do have a church home, then I pray that you are able to attend there. Every person needs to be faithful and accountable in a local church where they can grow and serve. This podcast is a supplement to your spiritual growth and let it encourage you to be more for Christ. Again, our website is gospellightbaptist.org. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you were listening for the first time, we believe the most important decision you could ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal way. To find out more about that, please visit gospellightbaptist.org slash Jesus. If you are a regular listener, we want to thank you for your time, and we would ask that you subscribe to this podcast, and also take a moment to share it with others on social media. Until next time, may God richly bless you.